Bright Bridgeway. How you folks doing? Good stuff. If we haven't met before, my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to hang out with the young adults. So shameless plug, if you're between 18 and 25, I want to connect with you after the service. And uh, I'm really excited to dig into God's word with you today. But before we get into that, we got one order of business that we got to take care of. Now, last week, Pastor Lance talked to us about how it's a little bit awkward between an audience and the preacher because they don't know if they can say amen. They don't know if they're allowed to talk back. They don't know when to, they don't want to interrupt. They don't want to make it weird. I want to let you know I, I give you full permission to amen all up and through here. You can interrupt. I like a talk back church. I don't mind. And I like it. I'll tell you why I like it. Because I, I take preaching seriously. And I want to make sure that I am saying what God wants you to hear. And when you amen, that lets me know that it's pinging with some things that God is already doing in your spirit. And when the church is quiet, just too quiet, I'm like, Lord, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I saying the right thing? And I take it so seriously, I have been known to preach halfway through a message, and because the church is too quiet, I'll start that thing all the way over again to make sure I get it right. So I'm not threatening, y'all. I'm just saying, if you want to get out of here by tomorrow, you ought to just amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. 2021 has been our year of becoming, and in our year of becoming, we've spent the last four or five weeks talking about how we build God's way, and we've been doing that by looking at the story of Nehemiah. If you haven't been here in the last few weeks, don't worry about it. I'm going to catch you up really quickly. In our story, Israel has spent 70 years in bondage under the oppression and subjugation of the Babylonians. That's where somebody comes and says, I'm going to take you, like the whole you, take you out of your home, out of your city, out of your country, and bring you to my home, my city, my country, and make you live like me, eat like me, live in my territory. And for 70 years, the people of Israel dealt with this. And then finally, the Persian king Cyrus says, hey, y'all get to go home. And this was a really exciting moment for the people of Israel because finally, finally, it ends. Finally, we get to go home. Finally, we're, we're turning the corner of this really awful season that we've been in. But when they got back home, when they got to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was destroyed. It wasn't how it was when they left it. And there's something really, really painful about when you've gone through something really painful and you get just a little glimmer of hope and, and, and you're like, okay, we're, we're, about to, we're about to come out of this and then things don't actually get better, they, they get worse. Some of us even right now are like holding our breath at the beginning of 2021, like, Lord, please don't let it be like it was in 2020. And this is what happened to the Jewish people. And so God, hearing the distress of his people, he tells Nehemiah, who is this Jewish cupbearer turned politician who works in Persia, he says, Nehemiah, I want you to go and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the community. And it was interesting that he called Nehemiah to do this because Nehemiah wasn't really qualified for the job. But the good thing is that when God calls us to do something, he's not calling us for our expertise. He's not calling us for our experience. What God wants is not your resume. He wants your yes. And so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he does it. And it's hard and it's painful and he faces opposition and it's risky. But finally, they build back the city, including this perimeter wall, which was really, really important for the safety of the city. And I don't know what you do at your house, but I can imagine. What is it that we do after we've worked really hard on something and we've accomplished it? What do we do? We party. That's right. We said somebody came to church today. We celebrate, right? 
And that's what Pastor Lance talked to us a lot about last week was how they celebrated. And their celebration didn't have like wings and beer like ours, but it was a celebration nonetheless. And it was beautiful and it was fun. And there were these great lessons that we could learn from it. And so that's chapter seven and eight of Nehemiah. So you're all caught up. And now I, I, I want to pay attention because after this celebration, there is a ton of activity, even though the wall's been built, right? Because even though the project was complete, their process was not. And I want to share with you five really important parts of God's building process that we see in Nehemiah chapter 9 and, and chapter 10. And so whether or not you feel like your life is a hot, funky mess or whether you have it all together, the, the process of building applies to us all. And um, in fact, if you're following along on the app or you just want to write this down, you're filling the blank for today, is that building God's way is an ongoing journey not a destination. Building God's way is an ongoing journey, not a destination. So do me a favor, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9, and let's go to work. We're going to read verse 1. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads, right? Now that's pretty significant because that, that, that's a big mood shift from chapter 8 where they're partying, right? Chapter 8, they're having a party, and then we get to chapter 9, and suddenly they're fasting. That doesn't sound very celebratory to me, right? If you're having a party and there's no food, don't invite me. You can just send me a Zoom link. I will zoom in. Nobody wants to go to a party with no food. So they're fasting. And then they're also wearing sackcloth, right? Which is this itchy, coarse fabric that's made out of goat's hair. Again, not exactly my party outfit, right? They're literally taking handfuls of dirt and rubbing it on their foreheads, right? That doesn't sound like what you do at a celebration. That sounds like a good recipe for a breakout and not exactly what we do when we're celebrating. And so the question is, why are they acting this way? What is going on? And the answer, church, is very simply, this is humility, Amen. right? When we build God's way, it moves us to humility. And this is easier said than done because they had just completed this really big project after years of being abused and displaced and right in front of the folks who had abused and displaced them. And sometimes when we're successful, especially when we've worked real hard to be successful, we can get a little big for our britches, can't we? stick out our chest, noses in the air, right? And, and you know who's real susceptible to this? Churches, right? When we start thinking about, oh, how good and deep our teaching bench is, and oh, our worship team, don't they sing so pretty? And our women's ministry, they have a great events, and our high school ministry is so powerful, and we saving souls and, and giving and doing all kinds of stuff, and we start to get really big for our britches, but I like Nehemiah's community because they resisted the temptation to go down that path that accomplishment can lead us down, which is pride and arrogance. And instead, they came together as a community and demonstrated their humility before God. Listen, you can't fall into humility. You can't slip in and trip into humility. Humility takes purpose, right? You've got to do it on purpose. It takes intentionality, folks. And that's what we see from Nehemiah's community. Now, I want to keep reading. Look at verse 2. It says this. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins. Now, this is important 
because it shows that they realized and admitted that their outward success didn't negate the reality of their fallen humanness, right? That their outward success didn't mean all of a sudden they weren't people in process, people still growing. Even though the wall was beautiful, they were admitting we're still humans. We're still people who make mistakes and bad choices sometimes. We're still folks who wrestle with sin. We miss God's mark. That's where we get this English word sin from. In archery, if you miss the, the, the target, they would say you sinned. And you may miss your target by half an inch, or you may miss it by 10 feet, but a sin is a sin. In the same way, there are some of us who maybe wrestle with big sins and loud sins that are easy to hold accountable, that are easy to call out, and there are some of us that are wrestling with quiet sins that nobody knows, that are secret behind the doors, but sin is sin, and it's something we're all we're all we are all susceptible to. Some of y'all missed it. What does Pastor Lance always ask us? He always says, does all mean all, right? And God's building process allows us to see how perfect he is, but also how often we miss the mark. Now, that can sound really awful, right? Like the idea of always being aware of how much you don't get it right, like that doesn't sound very pleasant, right? But when we think about how often we miss the mark, we have to set that next to how much God loves us how much he cares for us, how he still lets us participate, how he still goes out of his way to come and get us and let us know that he loves us. And that is what brings us to a place of humility and then moves us, this is the next step, to repentance, to a turning away from ourselves and a turning back to God. And here's what I need you to get. Repentance isn't something that we get to be finished with after we come to Jesus. Right? We think after, after we have that first moment with Jesus and we commit our lives that we're done with repentance, and that's not true. Repentance is something that grows as our relationship with God grows. The more you know Jesus, the more you're going to repent. And what I love about these people in Nehemiah is that they didn't just repent for their own sins. Look at verse 2. It says that they repented for the sins of their ancestors. That church is what we call solidarity right? That is what it looks like when we stand together. And our faith has to show up as an act of solidarity, as an act of witness with other people, as an act of tying ourselves to other people. Listen, we don't get to be Christians alone. If you want to be a Christian alone, this is probably not the faith for you because Christianity is a communal act. We don't get to just care about our own standing with God. But we got to care about our, our spouses standing with God, our children standing with God, our neighbors standing with God. Look to the person in the left and right. I care about your standing with God. We have got to bring folks with us on purpose. And that's why when we come to church, what we're really saying is, listen, I'm praying with you and I'm praying for you. I'm repenting with you and I'm repenting for you. I'm praising with you and I'm praising for you. If I come to church and what's going on in your life is so heavy that you can't lift your hands and praise, listen, I'm going to grab one arm. Your neighbor on the other side is going to grab the other arm. We're going to lift you up and we're going to get through this thing together. We cannot just care about our own standing with God and not just in this church. We got to care about the folks down there at Bayside. We got to care about the folks down there at Destiny. We got to care about the folks down there at the Rock of Roseville. It has to be our goal that we all make it to Jesus. Amen? 
So Nehemiah's community, they repented, not just for themselves, but for each other, and, and that led to confession. We don't do a whole lot of confession in today's church. And I think, that, I think that may be because we just don't really understand what confession is, right? When we think of confession, we think of getting in some dirty booth with some old man on the other side and telling them all, all the reasons we're terrible human beings, right? But that's not really what confession is. Confession isn't about us beating up on ourselves. It's not about us trying to atone for what we've done. Jesus already paid for it, right? And, and trying to self-punish us, what that really says is that Jesus' blood isn't enough. That's not okay, right? So confession is really about exploring the specific ways that God is still shaping and purifying and forming us into his image. It says that this is the specific area, this thing right here, this is the specific area that God is still working on me in my life. And listen, the way you can determine if your confession is healthy or not is by where it leads you. If after you have confessed, you just feel kind of crummy about yourself, right? You feel kind of hopeless, that, that may mean that it's time to reevaluate. Because confession should always orient you toward hope, toward the reality that every single day we are taking another step in the direction of redemption, toward the fact that Jesus is always pulling us closer to himself, and it should culminate in praise, in this public bragging session about God, and that's exactly what happens in Nehemiah's community, right? They start praising God. Let's look at verse six. They start saying, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram. You found his heart faithful before, and, and you made with him a covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite. I'll make it modern for you. You gave them the problemite. You gave them the issueite. You gave them the, the struggleite. God is saying, they're, they're saying to God, you gave us victory over everything. Amen. We made some mistakes. We made some bad choices. There were times where we were so wrong, but you, God. And that's the thing about confession. It should always lead to a but you, God. Because we don't just confess who we are and what we've done, but we confess who God is and what God has done. Growing up, I spent a lot of time with old people. I'm talking about real old people, not, not some of you. Some of y'all are 52 and you think you're old because your knees hurt. That's not old. I'm talking about old people. I'm talking about folks with names like Gertrude and Mildred, you understand? You, you don't know not, not one person that's under the age of, of 127 named Mildred, you understand what I'm saying? But I'm grateful that I spent so much time with old people in my life because old people were wise and they would teach me things. And the old folks in my community would say, listen, all you need in order to praise God is a memory. If you can just remember how God has kept you and protected you and blessed you and opened doors for you, how even as you were going through what you were going through, he held you together, how even when you were ready to throw yourself off the tower, he stayed your hand, how even when you were ready to sign divorce papers, he kept that marriage together. If you can just remember, that'll lead you to praise. That's why we say count your blessings. Name them one by one. It's because it leads you to praise. That's what Nehemiah's folks did. The text tells us in verses 7 through 15 that they talked about how God had chosen Abram and brought him out of Ur. They recounted how God had seen their suffering and met them in moments of crisis, like when they were at the Red Sea. We've got to recount our history. Where is it that God has brought you from? 
And it, sometimes what gets in the way of that is we say, well, I'm not where I want to be. That's good. You can acknowledge that. But I need you to also know where, where you were and where you are today. The old folks in my community would say, God has brought us from a mighty long way. And sometimes I think recounting our history is, is hard, especially when we've been through something that's like really, really painful, because we're like, yo, I don't, I don't want to think about that anymore. Like, I don't ever want to think about it. I don't want to look back. I don't want to consider it. But it's important that we do and that we look back specifically for God's hand in it. God, where were you in that? God, where, how were you involved, even in the dark, awful, painful thing that it's like, I can't see how God could possibly be in that, that's when we ask him, God, where were you in it? Show me. Show me what you were doing. Why? Because it will lead you to praise. It will lead you back to who God is. And what you'll notice in your text is as Israel was recounting their history, it pointed them back to who God was. They started saying, you are the Lord God. You saw Abram. You made the covenant. You sent signs and wonders to our enemies. You came down off of Mount Sinai with your good word. And it started this, this cycle in their community. Because the more they praised, the more it led back to repentance and confession. And the more they repented and confessed, the more they praised. And the more they praised, the more they were able to see who God is. And that made it easier for them to come to him and confess and admit. They even admitted, Lord, even after all you've done, we still don't have it all together. Here's the thing about Israel's journey. Their, their journey was like this. It was just this up and down. You know, 2,000 years later when we read it, you know, we kind of look like, Israel, well, y'all please get it together. Like, what's going on, Israel, right? But, but if I'm honest, even as a pastor, even as somebody who's gone to theology school and, and whatever, like, that's also how my journey is. It's, it's like, I wish I could tell you it was always clean and I, I just always felt holy and saved and glory to God. But the reality is, like, it's, it's up and down. And if you're honest with yourself, your journey's probably like that, too. I wish we would stop acting like after we got saved, everything gets perfect. We set new believers up for failure when we do that, right? We, we tell them that after they've come and cried all at the altar and had a, a good worship service, that the issues that they walked in here with are not the issues they're going to walk out of here with. And don't, don't get me wrong. Sometimes God does do that sort of deliverance, right? When God took Israel out of Egypt, they walked all the way out of Egypt and they never walked back. When they were able to go back home to Jerusalem, they were able to go back home, but they still had struggles and challenges and problems that they faced. And the difference was that God was walking with them through their journey. God doesn't erase our problems. He walks with us through them. Sometimes he walks beside us. Sometimes he's carrying us. If you're real stubborn like me, he may have to grab you by your ankle and drag you through it. But listen, he's with you through it. And that's why, that's why we have to stay in the process. That's why we have to remember that, that even after you've built one part of your life, there's still more building to be done as long as you're alive. As long as you are breathing, you're going to experience some of this. This can be really hard for us that have been journeying with Jesus for a long time, right? Because we're like, Lord, why am I still dealing with this, right? Like, Lord, I, I, I done read this Bible three or four times. I go to church every time. Why am I still struggling with this? And it's simply because God is not done with you. It's because your God is still working on you, and he's transforming you and refining you and calling you into perfection. Listen, God's process of building is not linear in the way we want it to be linear. We want to see this. This is not how our process is. 
and you can be encouraged by that because this isn't an issue for God who knows his ending from his beginning. This is not an issue for God who sees everything from the scope of eternity. When you have all of forever to do whatever you want to do, you're not panicking when you see your creation make bad decisions. God is not alarmed by the ups and downs of your journey. And confession and praise are tools that help us not to be as alarmed by the ups and downs of our journeys too. And so when you really start to believe that God is who he says he is, when you really start to believe that he is the Alpha and the Omega, when you really start to believe that he is the bright and morning star, that he is the lily that's able to flourish down in the dark valley, when you really start to believe that, that makes room for you to be able to go to him and tell him the truth. Remaining in God's building process requires telling the truth. We've got to honestly deal with our issues. And I love the way Nehemiah and his people did it because they got specific about their issues. We come to church with cute issues, don't we? Oh, Lord, I just was so frustrated this week. Oh, God, just help your servant. I was just frustrated. I just, my coworker, she frustrated. Help me, Lord. We don't come and tell it how it really is, how we walked into that office and said, Lord, if she says something to me today, I'm going to pick up this keyboard and knock her upside her head. I promise you she better not try it today. We don't, we don't talk about how it really is, right? We come with cute, cute confessions. But building God's way Building through God's process requires specificity. It expires us calling a thing what it is. Some of us have been struggling for year after year after year with the same things, not because we don't have the power to overcome them, but because we don't name them. And what you don't name, you can't treat. What you don't name, you won't open up before God and let him walk you through it. I used to weigh 300 pounds. And... uh, you know, I would go to doctors and I would go to dietitians and nutritionists and I would, I would give them the same little speech. I have a little bit of an eating problem. Occasionally, I overeat. And it wasn't until I called it what it was and said, I got a food addiction issue. When I'm sad, I eat. When I'm angry, I eat. When I'm frustrated, I eat. When I feel lonely, I eat. When I'm stressed, I eat. It wasn't until I called that thing a thing that I was able to treat it. Because when I called it what it was, I said, I don't need to go to the dietitian. I need to go to the therapist. I don't weigh 300 pounds anymore. (laughs) Call a thing a thing. Here's the other thing. When you name something, you also pave the way for someone else to be set free. The Bible says that we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. That's in Revelation 12. We got the blood of the lamb part down. We understand it. The blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. We forget that word of the testimony is a part of it, that it is a, the believer's tool for being victorious in God's building process. And someone else's freedom may be tied up in your willingness to call it out, to say, this is what I deal with, to use your testimony to win somebody else. You've got to honestly confront your issues. What is it that you have been dealing with that you, you need to open up before God, right? What's getting in your way? Is it that you're scared? Is it that you're worried? You're worried about God's judgment? Is it that you're embarrassed, right? Maybe, maybe you're worried about God's ability to handle what's going on in your life. But beloved, Jesus' blood has already been made provision for it. Amen. So in this year of 2021, we're confronting our issues for real. 
We're dealing with our stuff for real. What's, come here, pride. I got to sit, sit here. I want to talk to you about something. Come here, anger. I want to, I want to talk to you about something. Come here, lust. We got to have a conversation. Sit down. We've got to have a conversation. We're going to deal with our real stuff. And that's what they did. And I understand that confessing our issues is hard. But it always will lead you back to God. Look at verse 17. After they confess their problems specifically, what do they say? But you are God, ready to forgive. You're ready. You're warmed up. You're ready for this. You're ready to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger. It takes my God a long time to get angry with me. Abounding in steadfast love, and he did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves the golden calf, even when they had done the worst possible thing they could do, God was still good. Here's what I need you to understand. God's building process depends a whole lot more on his character and his behavior and his consistency than it does on ours. And that's real good news for some of us that struggle with consistency, right? For those of us that, you know, Monday we eat vegan, but Tuesday we eat donuts. Glory to God. I'm not saying that's my testimony. I'm just saying. This means that we can be honest with God, right? We can tell him the truth. We can show up with our stuff because our stuff sits in the shadow of the cross. So, listen, we've talked about how building God's way, it moves us to humility, and that moves us to repentance and confession, and that leads us to praise. But there's one more part of this process that I need you to get. I think it's really important. And the final part of that process is commitment. The success that these people had in building God's way moved them to a place of decision. Let's look at verse 38. It says, because of all of this, right? Because of who you are, God, and because your, your promises have been kept, because of all of this, they say, we make a firm covenant in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. When it says make a covenant, what it really means is to cut a covenant. Covenants in the ancient world weren't made. They weren't like made on a contract where they printed it out like we do today. They were cut because there was usually an animal sacrifice involved. And, and that's the thing about covenants is that they, they always require sacrifice. They always have a cost. At the point of our decision to follow Jesus, it cost us something. And maybe that was just like a self-centric life, right? You being really focused on you. Maybe it was some of the pleasures of the world, right? Maybe it was what you thought you were going to do. Maybe it was comfort or ease or convenience. You know, we don't like those C words, those C words, commitment and cost. We don't like those C words. And we certainly don't want to hear about them in church, not with all the commitments and costs I have in other places in my life. My landlord continues to come asking for rent at the first of the month. I said, I just paid you last month, but... <laughs> We don't like those words as much. But the reality is God's building process requires commitment. And often that commitment has a cost. And we see this commitment, we see this covenant that it, it carries them from the end of chapter 9 all the way through the end of chapter 10. Chapter 10 is nothing but a long list of everyone who signed the commitment. I'm not going to read it to you all because they wouldn't let me preach here if I did, but the point is everybody signed this commitment. It began with Nehemiah and the civic leaders and then the Levites, the spiritual leaders, but it didn't stop there. Everyone, the whole community 
joined in this commitment. What does that mean? That means that if we are going to build God's way, we need everyone on board. Look at verse 38, chapter 10, verse 38. It says, the rest of the people, the priest and the Levites, they signed the covenant. What does that mean for us? That means missional community leaders, we need you on board. Ministry team leaders, we need you on board. Volunteers, we need you on board. It says that the gatekeepers, that they signed the documents. That means security way in the back, we need you on board. Our emergency response team, we need you on board. It says the singers, that they signed the covenant. That's the worship team for sure, but you know what? That's also some of you guys that don't realize you're a part of the worship team. Because of the way you worship, it inspires people, it encourages people. My favorite service is actually the 11 o'clock. Now, don't y'all throw tomatoes at me. I'm going to tell you why. There is one gentleman who comes to the 11 a.m. His name is Colin. He works there. He's super, super dope. And he literally will take off his shoes and lay on the ground before God. And there is something about watching him worship that moves me to want to worship too. And some of you do the same thing for your neighbors. That means that you've got to be on board. The text tells us that the temple servants and their wives and their sons and their daughters and all who had knowledge and understanding joined their brothers and their nobles and entered into the curse and the oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses. Now that got a little weird because it says they entered into a curse, right? Kind of weird. Like we don't, most of us, we're not walking around saying, oh Lord, please curse me if I if I fail to, to keep your law, right? Some of us will be in trouble if we, if we prayed that. But, but here's what I need you to understand. When they, when they made this covenant, they agreed to accept a curse from God as, as a form of correction, right? They, they agreed to accept this, course, uh, this curse to bring them back to where they were supposed to be. Now, we don't pray those kind of prayers anymore, but it's a whole lot of us who have said, like, Lord, whatever you want to do, Whatever it takes to get me where I am, whatever it costs me, Lord, like I will do it. Those are kind of similar prayers, and those are good prayers for us to pray. And so all of chapter 10 highlights all of these individuals and all of these groups who made this promise to God. This is how it culminates. This is how it ends. Everybody in verse 39 says this, we will not neglect the house of God. And I want to be clear that this verse isn't just talking about the building. It's not even just talking about the organization, but it's talking about, look to the person on your left and on your right. It's saying, I will not neglect you. I will not neglect my commitment to you. I won't neglect God's desire or his will. I will actively and purposefully commit to fully participating in whatever God is doing and building. And this is what should happen in God's building process. When we're successful in building God's way, it should move us to more buildings. That's why there was this, this little church that was called Bridgeway, came together, it was three, three or four little, little small churches, and then they outgrew one building and outgrew another building and outgrew another building, and as I look around the room, I'm just sitting here like, Lord, I wonder how long we got left here. It's not because we're just this magical church or this perfect, perfect church. It's because we participate in the building process. It's because we don't mind coming to God and repenting and confessing and praising and recommitting and then starting it all over again. Repenting and confessing and praising and recommitting. And sometimes as individuals, we get stuck somewhere in that building process. And 
I'm gonna invite the band to come back out because we're actually, we're gonna sing another song. And as the band comes, I wanna acknowledge that, that sometimes we get stuck in that process and we're not really sure how to move, right, to like the next, the next part of that process. And so I'm gonna invite y'all to do a little confessing today. Ooh, some of y'all got nervous. Ooh, some of, the, some of y'all got tight. You clenched up a little bit. I understand that confession is really vulnerable, right? It's hard to tell people what you're dealing with, right? Somebody's writing an email to Pastor Lance right now. Don't let him preach anymore. (laughs) But here's the thing. I believe that today we can start to make Bridgeway a place where people can walk in with their stuff and know that one, they're going to meet God, and two, that there is a community that'll cover them that there's a community that will be with them. So I'm not asking you to to put your business out there just for the sake of it. But in a moment, I'm going to give you a few opportunities to confess just by slipping up your hand. That's all I'm going to ask you to do is slip up your hand. And I'm doing it because I know it can lead you back to who God is. And so that we as your family, even if you don't know the person on your row, we as your family can be praying for you. So... If you're here today and you're like me and you would say, hey, I, I struggle with pride, right? If you're watching online and you would say, humility doesn't come the easiest to me. I struggle with that. And I, man, I sure wouldn't mind if somebody was praying for me in this journey with humility. With humility. If, if that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Just, I know it's hard. Thank you, brother. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. God bless you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Glory to God. I see you. Thank you. Thank you, I see you. If you're here today or you're watching online and you would say, you know, confession is is the challenging thing for me. Like, I got some stuff that I got to unpack. Maybe it happened a long time ago and I'm just, like, not sure how to do it. I'm I'm really nervous about, like, dealing with that thing, but I know I got to deal with my issues. And I wouldn't mind if somebody was praying for me about that. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Would you just slip up your hand? Yeah, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. I see you in the back. If you're online, you can just put it in the comments. That's me. That's me. Pray for me. Glory to God. If you're here today and you would say, I really struggle with praise. I need God to free me up to praise him. Maybe when you come to church, it's, it's just like really hard for you to connect during that part. Everybody else is singing and raising their hands and you're just kind of like, Ugh, I don't know what to do with this. And you want God to free you up to praise him. You want that sort of liberty and freedom to honor your God. If that's you, would you just, would you just slip up your hand just so we can see? We just want to be praying for you. I see you in the back. Thank you. Glory to God. I see you, brother. Thank you. Glory to God. Yep. And if you're here today, and maybe your struggle is commitment, right? Maybe you're watching online and you're struggling with commitment. Maybe you're struggling with commitment to Bridgeway for whatever reason. Maybe you're struggling with commitment in other areas. Maybe you're like Nehemiah and God has told you, like, listen, this is what I want you to do. And you're like, God, I don't have the skills for it. Maybe you're struggling with commitment in your relationships. You've got a marriage that you're like, hey, I'm not sure about this. You're, listen, the truth is, I hear, I don't have any kids, but I hear sometimes a struggle to be committed to your kids. You want to kick them out and throw them, throw them in the river. That's what I hear. If you're here today and you would say, like, I've got, a, there's a commitment that I'm struggling to, I'm struggling with. If that's you, would you just throw up your hand? We just want to be praying for you. God bless you. I see you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. I see you. God bless you. All right, listen. There were a lot of hands that went up and probably a lot more that should have gone up. 
this is what I'm asking you to do. This week, would you just commit to praying for somebody who raised their hand? You don't have to tell them. We're not going to make it weird. You know, you don't ever have to talk to them. You should. Say hi. But you don't have to tell them. You don't have to do it now. You may not have even known, like, whose hand were raised, right? You can just go home and say, like, Lord, I'm praying for the folks who raised their hand for this category. If you're willing to pray for somebody who raised their hand today, would you raise your hand? Every hand should be up. Every hand should be up. This is what it means to be church. Look around. This is what it means to be church. When there are a thousand hands across this building of folks praying for each other, I just wonder, I just wonder what God is going to do in our lives. So we're going to sing this song. And during it, you can sing with, with our awesome team. It's a new song. You may not know it. You can sing with them once you learn it. But you can also just use this time to pray about your own situation or somebody sitting next to you. Can I invite you to do that? Amen.